Good morning. As we have heard today and heard some different reflections, I know Noel uh, shared a bit with us, one of the things we're going to be talking about today is one of the most important lessons that you will ever learn in your life. It's one of the most important lessons that I uh, have had to learn, and I still have to relearn it all the time. And the lesson is this. The lesson that we all have to learn is that God can be trusted, that God is trustworthy, that God is faithful. Now, that doesn't mean that life's not sometimes hard. Just like you, I've had things that have not gone the way I thought they should go. Just like you, I've experienced heartache and tragedy and pain, and I have questions. But I can also look back on my life and in all honesty reflect to you that I believe God is trustworthy and that God shows up and redeems and transforms and reshapes all the time. One of the times that I think back on in my own journey where I've had to learn this and not just learn it in theory, but actually learn it and believe it is that we had a time, my second year of seminary, when we had uh, one of those sort of crisis moments. It wasn't crisis, but it was just kind of one of those like testing moments. Okay? And what happened was, is that I was in my second year of seminary, first semester, and I was getting through all like the hard required early courses, right? Like I'd already taken Greek and already taken Hebrew. I was learning to translate New Testament and Old Testament. I was starting theology, and I was doing actually pretty well in school, which didn't always happen. But I was doing pretty well in school, and one of the things that I realized of why I was doing well in school was I had a really, really good study partner to work with, right? And that study partner was my wife, who is much smarter than I am. And I mean that in all seriousness. I, I don't mean that like, oh, she's so smart. It's like, no, she really is smarter than I am. And so she would have the pleasure, and it was a pleasure, of working a full-time job that provided for, us to, for, for me to be able to go to school and come home from that, and we would spend our evenings doing Hebrew flashcards which is the way you want to really dive into your first year of marriage. And so we uh, would do this, and yet what I quickly realized is she was just a lot smarter than I am. She was doing, she understood things that I didn't understand. And this one time, my second year of seminary, my first semester, I was translating a sentence from Hebrew, and Beth looked at me and she goes, that's wrong. I don't understand why you're translating it that way. It's not an aorist verb. And I'm going, I don't know what an aorist verb is, right? And I, I still am not certain today. I know what an aorist verb is in Hebrew. But... I looked at her in kind of one of those moments and said, you know, maybe you should be the one going to seminary. And she looked at me and said, I've actually been wondering the same thing. <laughs> now, when that happened, when she said, I've been wondering the same thing, I had two reactions in my brain that happened at the exact same moment. The first reaction is what I would call the more Jesus kind of reaction. It was the part of my brain that was going, yes, you are called to this. You are gifted in this. You have amazing, I think that God is going to use you in all different kinds of ways. We should just pursue this. That was the one thing going on. But there was this other part that was going on in my brain that was going, so how would we eat? <laughs> right? Like you're working and I'm in school, but if you're not working and I'm not working, hmm, right? Because I don't know if you know this, but the same rules that apply to you all apply to me, right? Like, I don't go to HEB and buy our weekly grocery, and they say that'll be $148, and I go, I'm sorry, I'm in ministry? 
And they're like, oh, oh, sorry, right, just take the food. You know, it's like, just go, we don't call the electro- electricity bill, the people that, you know, have that and go, hey, I'm sorry, um, we're kind of in ministry. And they're like, oh, yeah, the city covers that. Sorry, our mistake, clerical error. Sydney. All that still applies, right? When my kids apply to college, it's not like we're in ministry. And they're like, oh, tuition? Forget about it. Room and board? Absolutely. We got that covered. Don't worry about it. So there's the other part of my brain that's going, how would we like have food? How would we pay our bills? And Beth said, well, what we should do is we should come up with um, some lists that if God is indeed calling me to go to seminary, some things we could look at and say, well, then God's going to provide that and God's going to provide that and God's going to provide that. Okay. And then we'll see. So we agreed what that list would be. And the first thing was insurance right? Benefits. She had a full-time job with benefits. And so it was like, well, if we get sick, how do we pay for that? So how does insurance work? So we did some investigating and we found this really cool thing we didn't know about, which is that uh, because we were uh, studying for ministry in the Presbyterian church, there was this way that seminary students could um, apply for uh, at a very, very low rate and receive health insurance while you're in seminary. And we're like, wow, I had, I had no idea. It's kind of one of those things. We checked that and, and we could do that. The next thing was about money. And so I said, well, how would we do this? And she goes, well, one idea is I could go to school full-time and you could go to school part-time and get a part-time job. And I said, yeah, we could do that. And, and, it, you know, and then you think about it, it's like, well, it doesn't make sense for me to like, graduate early because you'd still be in school. So yeah, I could kind of slow down and we could graduate around the same time. And I said, but I'd want something that would feel like I was doing something in ministry. Like I haven't, because I'd never done anything before. Uh, in terms of working in ministry. And so we agreed on that. Had no idea where we would go. And then the, the next Sunday, we were sitting in church at the church we were worshiping at, North Avenue Presbyterian Church. We just were attending there. And they made an announcement that they were searching for a part-time new position for director of college ministry, working with college students. And Beth looked at me and like nudged me. And was like, you should apply for that. And I'm like, Right, except I don't know the first thing about college ministry. I've never done anything with it in my life. She goes, and she did the line that people do, and like, I'd be good experience, like no matter what happens, right? You just apply to be a good experience for you. I, sure. So um, learn to handle rejection. So you, you know, which is what it is. So I applied for this job, and I had nothing to put down on a resume. They said, well, send us a resume. I'm like, I don't really have one. They're like, well, send us something. It's like, okay. Uh, so I just like sent this thing in, and they called me. And they said, we'd like to interview you. I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'd really like to interview you for this job. And you're like, all right. So I go into this interview, and I had, and I promise you this is true, I had the worst interview ever, ever, that any of you have had in this job because I didn't know anything about college ministry. And so they were asking me all the questions that you would think they should ask for a director of college ministry. They said stuff like, so what was your experience of college ministry like while you were in college? And you're like, I wasn't a Christian in college, so I don't really know. And they're like, okay, well, do you have any ideas in your mind of like models for like parachurch ministries, like InterVarsity or Campus Crusade or Navigators of how you might want to lead our program? And I'm going, I don't know what those are. And they were like, you know, like InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I'm like, Never heard of that. Is that like a real thing? And they're like, yes, it's a real thing. There are actually people doing this. And they said, so what would be some of your ideas if you wanted to get started? And I, this is true. I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'd just sort of like start and see, right? And you're listening to yourself going, oh my gosh, this is so bad. And so 
I left, and they did the thing where they're like, thank you so much, we'll give you a call if we want to pursue this. And you're like, right. And you walk out. And I looked at Beth, I'm like, you're not going to seminary because this, is, this job is not happening. And for three weeks, I didn't hear anything. And then one day, the committee called me. And they said, Thomas, um, they didn't say it was a great interview. They just said, we'd like to offer you the job of director of college ministry at North Avenue. And I said, really? <laughs> and they go, well, actually, nobody else applied <laughs> for the position. I've never been so humbled by a job offer in my life. And I said, I am excited too about everything God has in store. So we kind of looked at it and we're like, well, Beth was making this and this job doesn't quite make that, but I think we can do that. I think we can tighten our belts. I think the numbers can, can get close to working. And so we're going to do it. We're going to apply and she's going to go full time and I'll take this job and I don't know how long I'm going to have it, but I'm going to try and we're going to have that part time and we'll see what happens. And so we leapt into it. So second semester, Beth enrolled. We're both in school. I'm working. And we worked really hard to live on as tight of a budget as we could. And I mean that seriously. I mean, we were, it was like ramen noodles for lunch, ramen noodles for dinner. And if we really splurged, we had bologna sandwiches. And no lettuce or tomato, just bologna with some mustard. And that was exotic for us. We really, really, really lived as, as, as simply as we could. And yet we were not making our budget. Every month we were falling behind and we were falling behind and we couldn't make it work. And as the months went by, we were looking at what, we were gonna, what the deficit we were going to be running in our family over the year was and it was kind of hitting that point of going, I don't know what to do with this. I, I don't know what else we can cut. Um, I'm not certain you know, what this means. And one day, as we were in this process of discerning what to do, I went to my mailbox. And this was still the days when mail didn't just come on a computer. You had a key and you opened this little door and there was paper inside and you opened it. And I had a letter from the dean of students of my seminary saying, Thomas, we wanted to let you know that you have been awarded a scholarship. Now, the scholarship was not one of the big prestigious scholarships Columbia gives. I didn't get any of those. But they said, but you've gotten a scholarship because in a surprising gesture, there's a little church in South Carolina that's closing. They're closing because it's all elderly people and they don't have anyone there anymore and they can't afford to keep their doors open. And so they're taking their property and what values they have as they're closing and they've decided to invest in the future of the church. And so they have sent us some criteria for a scholarship. This is a church I never got to go visit. I never got to, I, I wrote them a letter saying thank you but they gave me the amount of the scholarship. And I promise you, it took my breath away because the yearly deficit we were going to run was almost to the penny of what this scholarship was that I had received from this church. It was this, I've never felt as wealthy and as cared for in my life as I did by that tiny scholarship. God is trustworthy. God is faithful, not because I read it in a book, not because a really smart theologian said it, not because I'm in Sunday school and have to say it, not because I'm a Christian and I'm clinging to something that makes me feel better in the midst of a world of chaos. God is trustworthy and faithful. And it's one of the most important things that we have to learn. To continue in the study of this, we're going to look now at our scripture passage from 1 Samuel 17. We're starting with verse 32 this week where David talks to King Saul about his feeling of being called to go fight Goliath when none of the other soldiers would go and do it out of fear. 
And this is what it says in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. So, one of the things that we've talked about is that David sees this potential conflict with Goliath Goliath, differently than a lot of the other characters at the beginning of this passage, different than the other soldiers who were locked in fear and in dismay, right? And we talked about why. We talked about one week how he heard Goliath's challenge as a shepherd rather than a soldier. We talked about one week how David was able to have this ability to really hear and discern the call of God, not listen to his older brother who was jealous of him and making fun of him, not trying to uh, earn favor with the king and all the other things that can start motivating us and proving people wrong and all this other stuff. That David has this ability to play to an audience of one with what he does in his life. David is different. But this week, one of the things I want us to notice, and it's so simple that it almost doesn't need to be said, is that David has this kind of confidence that if he goes and fights this battle, he's not going to fight it under his own power. That he actually believes that God is going to show up and fight this battle on his behalf. It makes him different from anyone else's there. And I don't think he's cocky, and I don't think he's arrogant. I think it's what Leslie Newbigin would call a proper confidence. And not only do we see this confidence that God's going to show up and empower him, but we see why. And it's the why that I want us to think about this week. David, when he says, God is going to deliver this Philistine into my hand, the why comes from the fact that David automatically remembers how God has been faithful to him in his past. He doesn't sit there and say, oh, this is the, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll just go fight. He says, wait a minute. I've been in situations like this before. My life has been endangered before. I have faced great obstacles. I've had lions and bears attack this flock that I've been called to protect, and I was supposed to protect them with just rocks and a, and a, and a sling. This isn't the first time I've been in a situation like this. And David quickly, every time he says that God's going to work, he talks about this story of how God has been faithful to him in his past. The author, Edwin Friedman, who coined this phrase, adventure versus anxiety, talks some about that. Friedman says that, uh, and as we've talked about before, this is not a series where we talk about feelings. It's not about that some of us feel adventurous and some of us feel anxious. We all feel both. Both of those are a part of our journey together, and they're both good, and they're both healthy. But Friedman says that there are times when in our decisions, just like Saul and the people, uh, the soldiers of Israel, we become locked in fear, locked in dismay, locked in anxiety. 
And what Friedman says is that we have to become people who can make decisions not just out of fear and out of paralysis and out of anxiety and out of making sure the bad thing doesn't happen, but that we have to be people who continue to step into the adventure God has for us. And Friedman says the main reason we don't is because we're not guaranteed of the outcome, right? The reason most of us have these places of anxiety or fear is that we're going, well, this would be a risk and look what I'd be risking and I don't know how it's going to turn out, so I'm just going to not do it right? We all do that all the time. That's what's happening with Saul and the soldiers here. Now, David doesn't get a text message saying, David, this is God. I'm telling you, go fight this, and I promise you you're going to win, and here's how you should do it. David doesn't get a guarantee, but what David does is he does something that you and I can do, which is that he remembers the faithfulness of God in his past, and it allows him to say, I think God is going to do it again. I don't think God has been faithful in the past just to bring me to this point and just drop me in as a kind of a gag or a joke. And so it gives me the confidence that God will act again. I don't know about you, but I don't normally react that way when I face adversity. I normally have a kind of spiritual amnesia that sets in. So I don't sit there and go, well, God's done this, and God's done this, and God's done this, so I'm just going to have to see what God's going to do here. I go, well, God's done this, and God's done this, and God's done this, and then this obstacle comes, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, right? And I think that's a lot of what's happening to Saul, and I think that's a lot of what's happening to the army of Israel. And David is able to immediately revert and go, God's done this, and God's done this, and God's done this, and so God can be trusted. God is trustworthy. So we've invited you to think about that in different ways in the series. We've invited your memory or the collective memory of this community to help us to try to make decisions that aren't fear-based. For instance, one week we talked to you about community and authentic relationships. And what we said is, you know, one of the things that we're all called to do is we're called to have a community we're doing life together with. And that can be one of the most anxiety-ridden things in the world. Do we take off these masks that we wear and do we actually walk with people in authenticity? And, and that can be scary, and how are they going to think of us or judge us? But what we've tried to say is, God works in this. And if you will see that God has worked in your life and in people's lives through authentic relationships, we can't guarantee you how it'll work, but we have a pretty good idea that if you step into this, God's going to do something really amazing. We've talked about that with mission, that you and I are not called to be people that sit on our couches going, God, look at the state of the world today. I hope somebody finds a solution but that we are called to get up and get involved and get active in this city and get active around the world, that we are called to be people who are going, I don't have all the solutions, but I'm going to step forward believing if I do that God might actually use me. And so we've talked to you about and tried to share stories over time of people who just kind of did that and like, okay, God, if you want to use me, I'm here. And God just kind of did this amazing work and lives were different in the city of Austin because of what we did. God was faithful, and what we're saying is, if you step forward, I can't guarantee what's going to happen, but God's got a pretty good track record of showing up and using people to impact and change this world. We think that that might be how you can get the confidence to step forward and do something else yourself. And this week, this week, I am going to invite you to choose what it looks like to live an adventure when it comes to your money, when it comes to your finances. And I know I know this is a topic that makes people squeamish. I know right now every visitor is going, I can't believe we chose this Sunday to come here, right? <laughs> but next Sunday is Pledge Sunday. Next Sunday is where you will bring your tithes and your offerings, and we will have the chance to see how the ministry of this church will look like and the mission that we're going to give to will look like in the year 2016. It's an incredibly important Sunday. And you have a choice of how you're going to come here. 
The first choice can be out of this posture of anxiety when it comes to our money, right? And a lot of us do this. I do this all the time. And what anxiety looks like and how we posture ourselves that way is we take this basic sense of, I've got this stuff. This is mine. I've earned this. I've worked for this. I inherited this. This is what I have. And everyone keeps asking for it, right? My kids ask for it. My grandparents ask for it. The grocery store asks for it. Uh, you know, the kid that comes by in the football uniform that knocks on your front door and says, will you support the local team? It's like, you feel like guilty if you say no. So it's like, he's asking for it. You know, I mean, there's all these things. And now the church is asking for it. And the church isn't just asking for it. They're talking about a tithe as the starting point. They're talking about 10%. How convenient for them that they just want to come and take, you know, 10% of what that is. And what a great figure to come up with. And so, and so what we do is we have the sense of like, well, we're trying to be nice people. And, and so this is our money. And, and by the way, I'd like to use some of it. You know, I'd like to go on vacation. I'd like to retire someday. I'd like to send my children to college. So, so what I'm going to do is I'll kind of have this bitter heart and go, well, you can have this and you can have this and you can have this and you can have, is everybody happy now? And then I'm going to keep this and make sure that no one can really touches it. That is a way you can choose. You can come in here or you could avoid next Sunday and wait for a more spiritual Sunday. You could choose to have that posture. You can choose to do that this week and just go, oh, the church is one, every church is the same. They just go, uh, right? Or you could make a different decision. You could make a different decision. You can realize that the reason Jesus talks about the subject of wealth and money more than anything else is not because the church needs your money, but because money, without a doubt, is one of the most practical ways of deepening your spiritual life than anything you can come up with because it has so much control over the state of our heart and therefore it can be leveraged to free our heart if we allow that to happen. Here's what the other choice would be if we stepped into that this week. We could be like David and remember what God has done in our past. To remember the faithfulness of God that has gotten us to where we are today because I'm about to make you a promise and I do not do this very often but I'm going to make you a promise. If you take this week and reflect on how you have come to the point that you are in your job or in your career or in your finances, if you take time to reflect this week, I'm going to make you a promise that you will learn one absolute truth. And it is this, that what you have, you did not earn. What you have, you did not earn. Now you may be sitting there going, I don't think so. I'm the one who took out the college loan. I'm the one that started the company. I'm the one who lived with the stress. I'm the one who put in all the hours. I'm the one that had to uh, terminate somebody and go through the pain of that. I'm the one that's been doing all that. Who are you to tell me that I didn't earn it? Well, like you, I understand, and I work hard as well. I get that. But if you reflect on your story, I am promising you that the vast majority of factors that brought you to where you are today, you had no control over. 
Let me tell you what I mean from my own story. I was born into a country where education was an opportunity. I didn't ask for that. I didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that more than somebody else that's born somewhere else that didn't have those opportunities. I was born to parents who taught me the value of reading, who taught me the idea of, of value of ideas, who taught me the value that books could be a passageway to exploring and understanding new things. The vast majority of people in this world are not born into those situations. And you either have to make the decisions because they're less deserving or because you have a responsibility to do something in the midst of that. I was born into a situation where my parents had the luxury of saying, what school district do we want to live in in order for our kids to be able to go to this school? Most people do not have that ability, and you didn't earn that, and I didn't earn that either. There were factors that were almost all beyond my control that got me to that point. And then my freshman year of college, my life went in a totally different direction because my roommate and his parents open this possibility of what life and summer internships can be that change the trajectory of my life. I didn't ask for him to be my freshman roommate. I didn't do anything to say I need someone like this. God just sort of showed up in factors I couldn't control, and it changed my life and where it would go. Like you, I have worked hard. Like you, I will continue to. But it would be laughable of me to walk in here next week and go, well, the church just wants what I got. So much of what has brought me here today, including a dying church in South Carolina that I had never heard of before, made all the difference in the world in bringing me to where I am today. Friends, I have had heartache and pain and difficulties and things that haven't gone my way just like you, but God has been so good to me. God has been so faithful. God is trustworthy. And I invite you to be like David this week and remember your story. To remember the faithfulness of God to you. And if you do that, next Sunday could be completely different. Next Sunday, Pledge Sunday, could actually be one of the spiritual high points of the year, right there with Easter, right there with Christmas, because we will walk in here next week going, oh my gosh, I normally go so fast in my life that I just don't even pay attention to my past or my history or what's brought me to this point, but this week I took the time. This week I reflected. This week I thought about my story, and wow, has God done some unbelievable things that I had no control over in my life. Wow, has God opened doors, and has God put me in situations, and has God worked in all kinds of things, and now on top of it, I get to participate in what God's doing in the world today. Because my money can, can benefit the person sitting next to me or the person sitting in another service or someone living in another area of Austin or someone who's living in another part of the world. I get to participate in what God's doing still. And sure, that's going to create need. That's going to create needs uh, in the future. But just as God has acted in the past, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. David sits there and remembers his story and says, I believe I can trust God because of what he's done you have that choice as well. Make that decision this week. Make that decision to reflect on the goodness of God to you and come in here ready to celebrate next week of what he will do next. The choice 
is yours. It's all yours. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that this week you would help us to choose faithfully, to choose well, to hear your call, no matter who we are, no matter how much or how little we think we have, to hear your call to generosity. And Lord, there is all kinds of anxiety that comes with that. There's so many uncertainties. But remind us that you can be trusted because you've proven it. Not just because we've read about it, but because you've proven it. Give us eyes to see what you've done to bring us to where we are today. And may it inspire us for what you will do tomorrow. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing one last song.